Hey, welcome back to the Congregation 5 podcast. I'm Matt Avery, and I'm joined today by my good friend, Emily Seibert. Hi, everybody. Emily, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. Emily was so glad to be here for the <laughs> several hours that she knew she was going to be here today. Yeah. <laughs> this is the shortest notice I've ever given anyone on this podcast. So, Emily, thank you. You're welcome. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> it is going to be great. Hey, will you tell everybody a little bit about you? My name is Emily, and <laughs> I moved to Nashville about five years ago and have been going to Midtown for five years and have got to start working at Midtown part-time this past year and will be stepping in with Congregation 5 as the Kid Town director. So that's, I feel like, an, a significant intro piece. Yeah. Yes, and Emily, I can't tell you how excited I am that you are stepping into that role. Thanks. You are, you're a major answer to prayer and it will be a, a huge gift. Well, you're a huge gift anyway, but <laughs> you will be specifically a huge gift to the kids and families of Congregation 5. So Thank you. I'm very, very excited and humbled that it was the call the Lord had. So, Well, hey, today we are here to talk about what God is doing at C5, and God is building a community of courageous people who are being strengthened by His grace as we learn to walk by faith in the reality of what is, but cannot yet be seen. And so what does that mean for us? It means that we need to learn how to trust less in our feelings and our senses and more in the promises of Jesus. It doesn't mean that we ignore those things because God has given us our feelings and given us our senses as gifts to take in information and to see the world and know him and know ourselves and know what he's doing. But uh, we need to trust less in those things and more in his word and what he says is even when we can't see it or feel it. And so today we're looking at a passage in Acts 18 where Paul is having to learn to do this. You know, it always makes me feel better when even Paul is struggling with the same things that I'm struggling with. So thanks, Paul, for not being perfect. But Emily, would you read the passage for us? It's Acts 18, 1 through 11. I will. Also, a fun fact about me is that I spent some time of my life in Greece, living in Greece. And so I just want to take everybody there and set the scene a little bit. (laughs) Yes. So Corinth, just picture in your mind this place that is the most beautiful combination of mountain and sea. And this is where where Paul is entering. So it says... Well, hold on. Because (laughs) Emily is an expert on all things Greek. I want you to pay close attention to how she pronounces these names. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Great. Great. I wasn't practicing before anything, so here we go. I'm going to say it wrong. Um, Paul's in Corinth and says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth and he found a Jew named Aquila. (laughs) I'm sorry I did that to you. Named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy, and his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, 
believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Emily, what are your initial thoughts on this passage? I feel like one of my initial thoughts is that Paul kind of has a little tantrum in the middle of it that I'm a little bit surprised by. Of your blood be on your own heads, I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Just that, like you said, it, it makes him feel a little more human to me. Sometimes I can put Paul up on a pedestal and recognize, oh no, they were like opposing and reviling him and he got angry yeah, <laughs> and kind of threw a little tantrum. It was like, I'm it, done with you. It was taking a toll on him. Yeah. So that's one thing that stands out. And I feel like the other thing is the Lord in verse nine, speaking so clearly to him and saying, don't be afraid for I'm with you. That's why he doesn't need to be afraid. It's because the Lord is with him. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you said that because that's where I want to go. We read the whole passage so that we could get a backstory of what's going on here. I mean, Paul has come to this city. Corinth and Ephesus are like the two big cities. And so he's coming here to bring the gospel. He always starts whenever he goes to a new city in the synagogue, because that's the place where you're going to find people who are Jewish. They have the scriptures, they are worshiping God. And he feels like that's the easiest place to make a connection of, hey, you know, there's a Messiah coming and let me tell you who he is. It's Jesus. And so he comes here and his expectations are not met because he comes to the synagogue and he is, as Emily read, opposed and reviled. That is a strong word. (laughs) They are opposing him and they are even probably threatening him and calling him names and saying all sorts of terrible things to him. And he just keeps coming back week after week after week in this ministry. So he finds himself in this place where Jesus decides that he needs to come and give him a vision where he speaks to him. So I want us to hang out in verses 9 and 10 of Jesus's vision and what he says to Paul. That's where we're going to spend our time. So the first part of Jesus's statement, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. As we've said before, we got to read what's behind Jesus's words and that Paul was a man like us, and he was tempted to fear. He was tempted to be afraid, and that's why Jesus said, don't be afraid. And he was tempted to exhaustion. Vince Lombardi, famous coach of the Green Bay Packers, says, fatigue makes cowards of us all. These things go together, fear and exhaustion. Emily, I want to ask you, how have you seen fear and exhaustion work together in your life? Yeah, I feel like for me, when I put myself as Emily in Paul's shoes, being in this place where he's just receiving rejection after rejection after rejection and has these expectations and is striving to see those expectations through and come to be, they're not coming to be for him, that that is leading him to exhaustion. And I feel like I have seen that in my life of moments when I am attaching an expectation to a situation and I'm receiving rejection from that instead or that that's not meeting my expectation. So then I'm trying harder to see that expectation come to pass. And it's still not happening. It's still not happening. It's still not happening. And that's exhausting. When I'm expecting specifically like my worth 
being attached to that expectation of you to either affirm my worth or, well, I want you to affirm it. I don't want you to reject it. <laughs> and when I receive rejection, then I'm trying even harder to have you affirm it. That is the exhausting piece for me. Yeah. It, you know, when you shared that, it made me think it literally feels like exhaustion comes from literally feeling like you're being cut down, mm -hmm. like you're being chipped away at, you're losing parts of yourself because you're like you said, looking for significance, looking for yes. your identity in people's reactions and responses to you. And so when it's a negative response, it feels like you've been cut into. Yes. And when you get cut into enough times, you <laughs> bleed out and there's nothing left. For me, one way that fear and exhaustion go together is I'm usually afraid because I feel like I'm having to do something in my own strength. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting exhausted from trying to accomplish something or do something in my own strength apart from God. And when that's not going well, then that, like you said, speaks to me about my identity and who I am. Exhaustion is not the only thing that fear partners with here. We also see more specifically in this statement, fear partners with silence too, because fear always wants to shut us up. <laughs> fear always wants us to stop talking about who Jesus is and who we are in Jesus. Stop preaching it to yourself. Stop preaching it to others, because we got to remember, we are in a spiritual war. It is not a neutral thing. There are uh, spiritual forces that are opposing us, speaking the truth of Jesus to ourselves and to other people. And so fear, like it is in this passage, fear is working on Paul to stop telling the truth about who Jesus is and what he's done and what that means for us. And fear works the same way in our lives, to stop telling ourselves and other people the truth about who Jesus is, what he's done, what that means for us. The enemy is always working to keep us silent because there is power in the speaking. When I speak the truth and have the truth of who Jesus is spoken over me, then that is freeing me. That's releasing me from this false prison that I find myself in. Because when I'm silent, the evil one is saying, no, this is the most true thing about you. This thing that you're suffering under or feeling about yourself or believing about yourself, this is the thing that's most true. And so you just need to be quiet and sit in this. And then speaking the truth and having the truth spoken is this lifeline for us back to Jesus, who is the power. And so, Emily, where have you seen that in your life of just the speaking truth, bringing power into your life? Yeah, I feel like for me in general, I have this tendency when I am silenced by the enemy in fear that just like catapults more and more and more fear because I just write story after story rather than reaching out and bringing those fears or what the stories that I'm writing to the light so that they can be transformed. And that actually happened yesterday of getting to bring stories that I was writing into the light. And I received grace from the Lord that I didn't even know I needed in that moment and was strengthened to talk even more or share even more of what I was believing and what was silencing me. And from that conversation, I got to share that with two other women, my process of that and just see how the Lord then used that to encourage their heart. And so it was like this unlocking process of things being brought into the light and therefore, yeah, freedom coming from that and encouragement and strength for other people as well. Yes. I'm so glad you said that because 
you know, two things immediately come to my mind when you say that. One is that what's happening when you're sharing that is it's shedding light because we're all tempted to think that we're strange and weird and we're the only ones that struggle with these things and we're the only ones that have these kind of thoughts and so they must be true. But the reality is, is again, we're in a spiritual war and there's going to always be temptation to be silence and believe lies and live under those lies. And so when we share that process with each other, for those especially who've never walked through that process before, they hear that and realize, oh, I'm misinterpreting what's happening in me. This is not telling me who I am. I'm actually being tempted to believe something that's not true. And so this is a way that helps me learn how to get to the light, how to get to the truth, and how to get back to being aware of what's always true is I'm united with Jesus. And the other thing that comes to mind is a story from a a men's retreat that we were doing at another church I was a part of. And one guy in a small group had the courage to share his sin and what he was struggling with and had kept in the dark and he had been tempted to be silent about. And when he shared that, it was this domino effect of every single man in that group had been hiding in the dark in silence about something in their lives that they had always been too ashamed to bring up. And now all these things are coming to the light. And then even as we're praying together, somebody walked up as we were praying together and their eyes filled with tears And they say, I need you to pray for me too, because there's something I've never shared with anybody. And so the freedom that comes from speaking and having the truth spoken over us, it's it's powerful. It is so the enemy's scheme to say you're alone in this. Yeah, not only terrified and not worthy and not purposed and not cared for, but you're also alone in all of those feelings um, or all of those lies that he's saying. Because Uh, silence is isolating. Right, right. That's his biggest scheme is to get us isolated so he can do his best work. Yes. Okay, so the second line here in Jesus's words to Paul, he says, for I am with you and no one will attack you or harm you. And so we read this, we know that Paul was tempted to forget that Jesus was with him. Paul, just like me, there are plenty of times when he didn't feel Jesus's presence with him, when he's standing in the synagogue and being reviled by every single person who was standing in front of him, it might have been really hard to feel like Jesus was with him in that moment. But the reality is Jesus is always with us. Whether we feel it or not, he has united himself to us through the gospel, and we will never be separated from him. And so, Emily, I want to ask, have you ever been tempted to feel like Jesus is not with you? Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very often. What does that feel like? The best way that I feel like to describe it is I feels like an, an orphan. <laughs> I feel like an orphan. I feel like I'm alone and in despair and not cared for. And it feels very like doomsday and I will never get out of it. There's no way out. No hope. Mm. When I believe that I'm alone and that Jesus is not with me, then I can be afraid because I don't know In fact, most of the time, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to have what it takes to withstand whatever is against me. But when I know the truth that Jesus is with me, then I'm not afraid I can be curious because I know that Jesus is always with me. Jesus loves me. Jesus is always the king of the universe. So he has a never-ending abundance of all good things. And so when I'm in a place where I'm tempted to believe that I'm alone and Jesus is not with me, now I can be curious in that place and say, 
Jesus, I know that you are with me. I know that you love me. I know that you are giving me good gifts right now. So will you help me to see what good gifts you're giving me? And really at the bottom of all of this, of good gifts, it's really different ways of Jesus giving us more of himself. And so it's really us asking, Jesus, how are you trying to give me more of yourself, even in this place that is scary or where I'm experiencing a lot of suffering? Yeah, that reminds me of a conversation I had recently with somebody about, I think I grew up with this false theology that what I'm praying for is for Jesus to be with me. But actually that prayer can shift and no, he is with me. So what I actually need or like can be praying for is give me eyes to see you. Help me to see where you are here. I know you're here. Yeah, that just like shifts the he is with me. I'm not working to receive him being with me. I can rest in the fact that no, you are here. So yes. help me see you. And when the king of the universe is with you, all powerful, almighty, then it gives me strength because I don't have to be afraid of any circumstance because I know that I will always have enough. And I love what he says here. You know, when Jesus is telling Paul, no one will attack you to harm you, he's not saying forever. He's only saying for the next year and a half because it says that Paul stayed here and had a very fruitful ministry for the gospel for another year and a half. And then after that, some really bad things happened to Paul. And so the beauty is that my life it frees me from this prison where I believe that I have to maximize my life and everything is a threat to that. When the reality is, Paul makes it very clear that he understands that Jesus has already numbered his days, that Jesus has given him a specific course, like we have a race course for a marathon. <laughs> He's given him a very specific course to run and you will be here and I will care for you until your race is over. And then I won't stop caring for you. I'll just take you to myself and you and I are going to be together for eternity. All of this is so important for the Lord to train us how to think like this, because you can see how easy it is to shift from living out of a place of strength, which is our reality in Jesus, to living out of a place of weakness and fear and imprisonment and lack, which is not even real, but that it's so easy to find ourselves living like that. Yeah. And there's no, there's no rest in that way of living. No. It's always striving. There's always more. There's always more. There's always more. There's always more. And it's the orphan mentality you talked about. No one's taking care of me, so I always have to be on guard. Always yeah. have to take care of myself. Yeah. And I get this image of a father taking care of a child and that child not wondering if that father is going to take care of him or her or not and just following him wherever he's going and whatever he's doing and walking freely and how... I know that to be true, and that is what I'm bringing to people is this is going to be the reality. That's what our hope is, is that we'll be with him in that place of our Father caring for us and giving us everything that we need. That is heaven. That is where we're going. And we get the opportunity to bring that to earth right now and to unlock that for people, to let people into that mystery that that can happen right now and that we can live free as that child here and now. So. Yes. All of this is building to this last part of Jesus' statement to Paul, where he tells Paul, I have many in this city who are my people. And this is the culmination of 
learning to live in the unseen reality that is more real than what I can feel or experience at the time. Because remember what's happening when Jesus says this. Paul is facing opposition and reviling from almost every person that he is encountering. He is not feeling successful. He is not feeling particularly effective. But what Jesus is telling him is that I already know I have chosen many people in this city. They are mine, even if they don't know it yet, and you don't know it yet. And what is so wild is that Jesus is calling Paul to continue to speak the truth of the gospel in the face of strong opposition, to be the vessel, to bring that unseen reality into our seen and felt reality. That it's actually Paul walking unafraid, knowing that Jesus is with him, speaking the truth of the gospel to these people who are treating him as an enemy that God is going to use as the mechanism to turn these enemies into sons and daughters, into Paul's brothers and sisters. That's amazing to me. Yeah, it's so amazing. And there's no other way that I would be able to do that, that Paul would be able to do that besides that Jesus is with him, besides the fact that the Holy Spirit is there with him, strengthening him, encouraging him, letting him know and reminding him that he does have a good father who is caring for him. When I don't believe that, I would give up so quickly. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And so there has to be that piece of Jesus with him and him knowing that and trusting that in order for him to believe and to continue to do that. Jesus is calling us into the same thing he's calling Paul into in this passage, to walk by faith, to see with eyes of faith these realities that are more real than what I can see and feel and experience on my own, those things that feel so real. But Jesus is saying, no, no, there's actually deeper realities in this, more lasting realities. You know, to Paul in this passage, Jesus is saying, you may feel like these people are your enemies, and they are today in one sense, but in another sense... I've already called them. I've already chosen them. I know that they will be mine. And it's you speaking the truth of my gospel of grace to them that is actually going to transform them and reveal what has always been true, which is that they are my people. And he is doing that in our lives as well. There's so many situations and circumstances and relationships that we walk into and we are tempted to be afraid, be made afraid by them and to back away and be silent. And Jesus is saying, why? Why are you responding like that? I'm always with you, and I'm calling you into these places and into these relationships to do good work and to bring this unseen reality into the reality that you can see and experience here. So Emily, this is a hard question for you, but how do you live in a reality that you can't see yet, and how do you bring that unseen reality into your felt reality? I think one of the realities that I mentioned earlier that is I don't always feel it to be true, is the father as a good father and me as his beloved daughter. And I think one of the ways that I can step in, that he's grown my eyes of faith, um, just faith in general, has been through getting to know him, um, getting to know what is the reality of that I'm not necessarily feeling right now, but I know it to be true. And so when I step into learning more about that reality through the word, through what is true, and then worship through it being sung over me, the truth being sung over me, or through community and through people in my life who 
will remind me what is true. I think all of those things help me walk in that reality, even when I'm not feeling like it's true. Emily, what you're describing is what theologians call the means of grace. And these are the means that God's given us to tap into this reality that we can't see and live out of what's true of what is ours in Christ that we wouldn't otherwise be able to experience without these ways that he's given us to meditate on what's true in his word, to be able to learn how to see with eyes of faith, to meet with him and with others in prayer. What you said about worship and having the truth sung over you, that is true for me as well. And it's also true like when we gather for corporate prayer and when I have the word of God prayed over me and other brothers and sisters claim what's true and the way that they ask God to help them live out of it, it just helps me to see reality differently. Again, go back to speaking. When we speak the truth into the world, it's a way that we can see the truth with our ears that makes it more real for us. Yeah, and I feel like another thing that has been true for me has been I learn more about the Father and His character when you talk to Him, um, because you relate to Him, oh, just ever so slightly different than than me from your experiences with Him. And so when you are talking to Him through prayer and I'm there with you, I get to learn more about who He is um, and His character. This is where we see one of the reasons that God's Word is so precious is because He tells us what's true in His Word, and He makes very, as we say, very great and very precious promises to us in His Word, and clinging to those promises in prayer and in worship is something that strengthens us because we just hold on tight and we take God at His Word and say, Lord, you've told me this is true please let me see this. Please make this a, a reality for me. I'm claiming these promises and I am trusting in you and depending on you. And something happens to us in the process of grabbing hold of him like that in prayer that does change something about our felt reality to bring us into the, the unseen reality. And we're going to need that for where we're going. <laughs> yes. Whether you're coming to Congregation 5 or not, uh, yes. that is something that we are going to need as we follow Jesus in this world. Yeah, and as we journey home to being with Him fully. Absolutely. Emily, thank you so much. It was a joy to be with you. It's a joy to be your friend. Thanks, Matt. So good to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm going to pray for us. Father, we need you so desperately in every way, we need to know and remember all the time because of all the things that we face, all of the lies that we hear, all of the lies that we tell ourselves, Lord, that we are alone and that the best thing to do is just to give up and quit and be silent. But Lord, you tell us that you are with us always. You have called us to speak the truth to ourselves and to one another, and that's actually where rest is. That's where freedom is. And so, Lord, make us a people who are constantly learning more and more how to live in the reality that is the most real that we cannot see. And as we do that, we will bring that reality into our felt reality to bring your kingdom to bear on this world for your glory and for our good. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Like you got no